Hello, this is Impact Ed with HD Chambers, uh, Superintendent of Schools for A. Leaf ISD in the Houston area. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we are going to explore a topic that we have talked about in previous episodes, and that has to do with early childhood literacy and what public schools and A-Leaf included in that, but what, what's being done to help ensure that all of our children are literate by some definition and reading on grade level by the end of their third grade year, which is a tall, tall task. But uh, nevertheless, it's it's an aspirational goal that we must have for all of our students. So for those that listen to this to this podcast, we have had uh, Mr. Scott McClellan with uh, HEB and, and his role with uh, Good Reason Houston, and then uh, also with Early Matters, uh, which is a kind of a Houston collaborative group of, of folks around around early childhood and pre-K. But today's episode is going to be more along the lines of, of what's going on in A-Leaf and how we uh, in our own district are attempting to move forward with increasing the emphasis and uh, providing the resources and support necessary to ensure that we have a quality early childhood program. And in today's conversation, is going to be mainly about pre-K, which is our four-year-olds. And just a little bit of context on this, um, the state of Texas does fund public schools for four-year-olds for half of a day. So we, we, get, we get funding for basically half a day for four-year-olds. And our pre-K program is a, is a program that is, eligible, is, is, is accessible to students who are eligible based on family income, language, uh, a variety of other factors. But the main two that we deal with are, are the income levels of our families and the languages spoken by our, by our families and our kids. So once they qualify, we have a, a half-day program because that's what we're funded for. So we have groups of kids that come in the morning. And we have groups of kids that come in the afternoon. And our goal is to move to a structure that allows these four-year-olds to be in our in our schools all day long, similar to what our kindergartners and first graders and second graders are in, because we believe that's that the exposure is that important to these four-year-olds. So with that, I have three ladies here, uh, two of our elementary principals, uh, Ms. Jeanette Bird, who's the principal of Cummings Elementary, Ms. Mary, excuse me, Mary Kessler, who's the principal of Hicks Elementary, and then Ms. Kathy Yon, who's our executive director of our curriculum instruction, and one of her responsibilities is helping oversee our early childhood program. So uh, thank you, ladies, for being with us. Uh, I am going to ask Kathy, one, to just quickly introduce herself, but also just talk a little bit about what, we, what the district has been doing, uh, I guess, in the last 12 to 18 months, trying to ramp up for the... Uh, the movement towards our uh, full-day pre-K for our four-year-olds. So, again, thank you guys for, for joining me. Great. Thank you, Mr. Chambers. This is Kathy Yon, and I get to work with the early childhood programming um, in Ailey ISD. We've done a lot of work over the past 18 to 24 months um, participating in, as Mr. Chambers um, referenced, Good Reason Houston and Early Matters and looking at programming in the region for our earliest learners. And um, in June of 2018, we started a task force, and that task force really brought together people from the community and the nonprofits that are very invested in early childhood work. It also brought together some classroom teachers, a principal, some central instruction folks, and also some business folks. And what that helped us to do was look at what are the options in the area for early childhood and um, how might we look at um, structures and funding to make a full-day program happen here in ALEAF. So we went out and looked at some um, programs in other districts to see how some of our area districts were um, implementing full-day programs into their pre-K classrooms. And we 
have had the opportunity to participate in the House Bill 4 grant, which came out of TEA, which allowed us to really um, invest some money and some time into teacher resources and training um, for our pre-K teachers. And along with the guidelines and the high quality expectations for our teachers, we've really come together and looked at what could be best practice for us here in ALEAF and how could we make sure that um, we are tracking progress on students the the moment they get to us and what can we do to really push forth our priority of having kids read on grade level by third grade. The task force itself was, it was more of an exploratory task force for, for funding, to be quite honest with you, because mm-hmm. here's what, here's the bottom line. In order for us to go to a full day pre-K program, we're going to have to basically double the number of pre-K teachers we have, which in our district was going to be, it will be anywhere from a five to a seven million dollar cost to the district. And then on top of that, you have to have facilities because now you're going to have the existing morning four-year-olds stay all day long. Now you have to have a place for the afternoon kids and plus the additional kids that are going to come as a part of the full-day program. Cost is a big is a big factor. So I've got two principals here that are in the trenches and working through uh, what we're trying to do as a result of the pre-K task force is to, to pilot full-day pre-K at some of our schools that have capacity. So Mary, if you don't mind, Hicks Elementary Talk just a little bit about what you guys are doing. I know, and I want to be very clear to the audience, there's a lot of work being done right now. So if you hear Mary and Jeanette say, well, we're working on this or we're not 100 percent sure here, it's because it's, it's true. They're, they're working on it. But but talk, if you don't mind, just from your perspective as a as a principal, what's going through your mind and what's going through your team's mind as y'all try to, to ramp up for a full day program for pre-K years? Sure. Well, first, we're very excited. The teachers have been looking for this for years. Um, a half-day program is um, is good, but it's not the same as keeping children all day. Um, they keep saying, man, if we just had a little bit more time, we could get them to be uh, the, increase their vocabulary. Or if we had just a little bit more time, um, you know, we could have them just a little bit more prepared for kindergarten. So first of all, they're very excited. But then, of course, teachers get nervous with change, just like everybody else does. Mm-hmm. So some of the things we've been working on are our schedules, first of all. Um, you have to look at the pre-kindergarten schedule and what's recommended by the state of Texas in the pre-K guidelines, and you look at those different factors. And then you have to look at the rest of the campus schedule because pre-K doesn't you know, exist on a campus in isolation. It exists in the context of everyone else. So one of the big things we had to look at was how are the teachers going to have a planning period? Every teacher is required by the state to have a 45-minute planning period to be able to grade, to plan, to meet with parents, that sort of thing. And for all of the other grade levels, um, our block teachers, art, music, PEA technology, are the ones that work with those children. Well, some of those teachers got very nervous. What do I do with a four-year-old child? (laughs) And so we ended up saying that probably wasn't going to be um, the plan that we would make. So we've had to work with other um, staff members and schedulers and figure out okay, what is the best plan for the teachers during their planning period? So we've we've got a pretty good solid plan in place. The teachers are like, okay, breathing a sigh of relief. And then I guess that's probably the biggest thing that was on their mind. Next comes materials, furniture. We already had the space available, so we're very grateful for that part. But but now we're working on materials. I think that's the next big move. Jeanette, what about you guys at Cummings? Are you in the midst we, of same conversations? We are. We're similar to what Mary described on her campus at Cummings. Um, we have the space, and we're really excited about the space because it will be dedicated to pre-K kinder. So it would be like an early childhood program, right. all right. in one space. So we're really excited um, about that taking 
taking place. One of the other things that the teachers, uh, our current pre-K teachers have really enjoyed this past past couple of years is the mentoring that goes on and the coaching that they get as pre-K teachers. And I think some of that came from HB4 uh, to be able to make that happen. So they're excited about that and that that will continue. And what that has helped us do on our campus is to look at that and try to consider some things for our other teachers in that area just because we've seen growth there. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that we're looking at for pre-K is we're excited to have kids for six years. So if they start in pre-K with us, and stay at Cummings. We get them for six consecutive years. And just the outcome of that, when we look at some of our kids who have started with us in pre-K half-day program and stayed with us all the way through fourth grade, we see so much progress and growth and just uh, kids who are interested in learning and are learning and are growing. So uh, personally, I'm very excited about that because that's one of the reasons I stay on the elementary campus is because I need a lot of years with the kids. Uh, it takes a lot of years and it takes a lot of work and effort uh, for kids to be successful. Um, so we get them now. We have an opportunity to get them uh, earlier and keep them for a little bit longer. Mary, you mentioned your teachers excited but also apprehensive or nervous. Is it is it more about the just the change of spending a full day with a four-year-old or is it What's my day going to look like? I mean, what's my schedule? What What are y'all hearing I, from? For at Cummings, I think it's just more so when they see the schedule, like the uh, current pre-K teachers that I have, um, one of them is really, really experienced. One of them, it's her first year in pre-K, not mm-hmm. in teaching. Um, but just when they see the schedule and they will see that the task force has really focused on making it a develop, developmentally appropriate right. for students. And I think that's their worry that, if it goes to full day, is it just going to be kindergarten for four-year-olds? And that's not what it's going to be because of the hands-on, um, you know, many hands-on opportunities, the uh, opportunities built in for action-based learning where the kids are moving and learning at the same time. On our campus, the arts integration will take place uh, where kids are doing learning through the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think once they see the actual schedule and know that they have a voice in it and know that the task force has put time, energy, effort, research, and everything into that, that's going to alleviate some of their anxiousness. I agree. I I think nerves always come with change, but the nerves are really about excitement because this is something they've been wanting for a long time. So I I don't think it's the kind of negative, anxious nerves. I think I do just think it's excitement and do I get to have a say? And um, and my teachers have. I I brought the initial um, schedule that the state proposed to them. We sat and worked with it. We turned it in to the district, to the pre-K team. They gave us some feedback. We revised. And, And so I think we're pretty close to a solid schedule for next year. And having that in place has eased concerns um, greatly. Now it's the excitement of, okay, so I'm going to do this and my para is going to, and this is the way it's going to look. So I think now we're getting into the nitty gritty, but they are super, super excited at this point. Good. What, what are you guys, uh, right now as a district, we've got uh, some marketing going out, just trying to get the message out to parents to let them know, because many of them who've been in the community are familiar with half day and just trying to make sure they're aware of it. Are you are you beginning to, to get a sense for the for the demand that parents might might have or what what's the reaction to your from your parents? 
Um, we've got a couple of things. Um, I have coffee with the principal meetings every like month and a half. And that's one of the first things. As soon as we knew this, I brought it to that group. And um, for those who had little ones, super excited. For those who had ones that are currently in pre-K or kindergarten, <laughs> it's like, why didn't this happen a year ago? Yes. But um, they are very excited and they're talking to their neighbors. Uh, we already have clo- between 50 and 60. I'm not sure. I think um, in that range, we have mm-hmm. a few that are not pre-K kids. But um, most are pre-K for pre-registration. So our families are going online, completing the information, and now that we're in April, our registrar is calling them for appointments. So on our last call out to our own community, we just let parents know, remember, if you come in now and register, you don't have to wait in long lines this summer. And that's a huge draw, too, because right. pre-K families before um, would come in on the first day of summer registration because they wanted to be able to choose morning or afternoon. And so they would be willing to wait for hours and hours and hours hours during registration just so that they could get their choice. And so to not have to make that choice and to be able to register in the spring before school's out, they're loving it. Good. Good. Jeanette, what are you what are you sensing? Well, we um, we don't have coffee with the principal, but we had pizza with the principal. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that. Um, what I'm seeing, similar to what Mary said, just uh, some of the current parents are right. like, oh, why not this year, not this year? But we are starting to get more uh, parents to come in. It's just a bit different uh, since we're allowing them to register early. Right. Parents are not used to right. uh, registering early. So we have, we're at 30 right now that are registered. Uh, but it's continuing like there's there hasn't been a week that uh, has passed that someone has not registered in a while for pre-K. So that's a good sign mm-hmm. there that, you know, I don't think we'll have any trouble at all um, filling our units. I think we'll have to turn some people away. So yeah. I hope people will you know come early and take advantage of the early registration. I agree. I think we've all kind of expected or anticipated once this becomes a a part of our culture and common thing. It's going to be a, you know, you'll, you'll have them camping out. You'll have them waiting yes. to, to, or waiting at home, ready to push the button to, <laughs> to, to enroll. Kathy, from the support perspective, I think it's worthy of noting that we're starting a pilot program. Maybe you talk about what Mary and Jeanette are experiencing, but talk about it from the district's perspective about what we're doing with the, the five schools and kind of how we're going about it and what we're doing to provide support for the, for those schools. Perfect. So they've both brought out some of the things that we're working on as a um, pilot committee and team. And um, scheduling is a huge part of it, of course, because we want to make sure people aren't apprehensive about their job for next year and what that entails. And um, so we really brought together a group of people to have a conversation and sort of like a little PLC as we all navigate these waters together. There's some um, central folks working on making sure that they have the resources that they need and that they have a say. And I think the teachers having a voice in the schedule and making the schedule personalized to each campus's needs is going to help us. But at the same time, we're making sure that it has really meaningful pieces so that students will get what we want out of this full day program. It's not just keeping him them here all day long. It's really about how is that going to impact future success. Um, I was glad to hear um, that they like the coaching piece because we have hired a coach that's going to work just with those full-day teachers. And her job will be to be their guide on the side and to help them navigate through this first year and to set some um, trainings up so that they can feel more confident in having them for a full day. So we're really excited about that. 
And actually, pre-K is sort of leading the way as far as the coaching. We know that teaching um, is a very difficult thing these days with all of the demands on the teachers. But having a coach right there on the side who's there to help teachers be um, more successful. And pre-K really instituted that before any other grade level or any other um, area did. And so our pre-K teachers have seen value in that. And having that coach dedicated to these five campuses next year, I think, is going to be instrumental in those teachers feeling supported as well. Y'all mentioned the the professional development that pre-K teachers had, uh, have, have been receiving, I guess, over the last several years and their, their appreciation for it. And I'm assuming a lot of this stems from the policy changes and the, the, the funding that came along with, with that in 2015. But what is it What is it different? I mean, from y'all's perspective, what's different about the PD now that the teachers are appreciating it mm-hmm. as compared to, I mean, what do they appreciate yeah. now that they weren't receiving prior to? Well, I think one thing that my teachers have uh, indicated um, and what I've seen also that I've observed is that sometimes that PD is taking place right there in their classroom. So someone's coming in, similar to the coaching, but coming into in real time. Um, yeah, real time yeah. and showing them and working with them alongside them. So that helps them see with their own students how that works. So that's one thing. And I think uh, secondly, it's just been very um, specific to four-year-olds. That is a different group of students. And we can't (laughs) treat them just like five-year-olds. They're not five-year-olds and they're not kindergarten students. So the PD has been specific to what four-year-olds need. And so that's empowered teachers so that when they're in planning, I mean, they come with way more knowledge than I do in that area because they've been to all the sessions and they've learned uh, things about what four-year-olds mm-hmm. need and what works for them. I agree. That's the biggest difference because prior to that time, much, much of the PD would be early childhood, and that would be pre-K to two. And so pre-K teachers would go, and oftentimes the, the leaders of the professional development would focus more on what first and second graders need, and they would have to modify or adapt. So to have PD developed strictly for pre-K is huge. That has been a huge benefit. I mean, I've raised two kids, and I don't. It was a blur when they were four and five <laughs> years old, like most <laughs> most most families raising kids. You mentioned the difference between a four year old and a five year old, and and the, the the types of trainings that teachers have to have versus, you know, for 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 teaching four year olds, is a lot of that due to the fact that many four year olds this is their first time to be in any type of school setting, or is it just they're four years old and it's just. It's both. Mm-hmm. It's definitely both. It's, uh, some, many of them, it's their first time to be in a setting with that many people there that are the same age as right. they are. <laughs> right. So that's that's different. Um, but also, it's because because they are four, they still there's they have developmental needs, and so uh, pre-K having full day pre-K will allow those develop developmental needs to be met and nurtured. So. Uh, there's so much that can be done in a block center, and you might not have um, blocks at your house, or you. you so you're might about, be, you're about playing blocks. Like yes, yes, yeah, blocks. Yeah. There's so building. much that yes, building so much that right. can be done in just that area uh, with kids as far as their um, social development, mm-hmm. as well as their intellectual development. Right there, and so when you're when you're thinking about four year olds. It's just very dangerous to try to classify them along with kindergartners or first grade. And like Mary was saying, uh, this is early childhood. It's early childhood. It's pre-K through second, technically. Mm -hmm. But keeping it very specific to pre-K is what's what's going to separate, I think, a leaf 
apart from some other areas because we're doing so much to make sure that our pre-K program is going to be strong. And by just starting with five campuses, that's another indication, okay, we're going to look at these five campuses. We want to see what happens with this um, this one year of mm-hmm. this pilot program on five campuses and be able to make adjustments as needed. So the focus is there. One of the areas that pre-K has as part of their instructional schedule is centers. And sometimes from a lay person's view, they say, oh, they're just playing. But playing is really an integral part of the pre-K curriculum. Mm-hmm. It's about building oral language. It's about learning to share with others. It's the social emotional. It's the gross and fine motor skills of taking those blocks and stacking them and moving them or taking the manipulative letters or numbers and actually tactile experiences with those things. And so sometimes people will say, oh, they're just playing. But playing is actually learning when you're talking about pre-K curriculum. And so that's the piece that we're going to be able to extend. Part of um, the day is centers and part of the day is recess slash movement. And so being able to have kids moving and developing their um, gross motor skills and and their ability to roll or to hop or to skip um, actually has an impact on their later learning. And so we'll have some very intentional um, teacher development and um, manipulatives in the classroom to help that um, development. But many times people will say, oh, they just play in pre-K. But that play is very meaningful and really impacts future right. success. And the critical part of that is an excellent teacher because an excellent teacher knows how to set up stations and how to set up those play activities so that they're very intentional and purposeful. So um, a dramatic play area can be just a whole bunch of stuff sitting there. But an excellent teacher will set it up to be um, maybe you'll read a story that prompts the children so then they will then act out parts of the story or they will um, say it's near Valentine's Day maybe Maybe they're going to have a post office, and so they're going to be in charge of the different roles. So it's it's not just totally free play. There's many things that the teacher has done behind the scenes that a casual observer would never know that the teacher have set up to to really grow that child. You would have to be organized, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yes. If yes. you walked into a twenty four year olds without a plan, oh, <laughs> you would be in a bad place. You may be strung yes. up they, by a flag They might pole. take over. <laughs> they may take over. Yes. Uh, I'm curious because because what you're describing, how excited teachers are to have a little bit longer to do this. What what do you, what's what's missing in a half day program? What are we not doing now that? Is it just not long enough, or is there certain certain things that a half a day program is causing us to sacrifice? Is it the play? Is it if you look at the components that are required for pre K programming, you know, there's pretty much eight big areas that we're supposed to focus on, but eight big areas in a three-hour time period versus eight big areas in a seven-hour time period, you can do it deeper and you can do it um, with more intentionality. And it really helps you get to know your students better because when you're trying to do all those eight things plus monitor kids and and take care of needs of four-year-olds in general, that time period is, it's kind of like zip and go, zip and go. Let's get as much done as we can in 15 minutes. And I think it'll allow teachers to really get to know their students and then to differentiate based on those student needs. Absolutely. I agree completely. Yes, I definitely agree with that too. And I think another thing with the half-day program, when you think about an elementary campus uh, going from pre-K to fourth grade, some of our pre-K kids miss things. Mainly our afternoon kids mm-hmm. miss things because because they're not 
there in the mornings. Like if we have uh, special guests or assemblies or the rodeo speakers come or anything like that, they don't get to be a part of that bigger picture of an elementary campus. And so I would say that's one thing that's missing yeah, that's, as well. That's, and that's you. I never, I, until you just mentioned, it, I never thought about that. Those yeah. afternoon kids miss a lot of the typical oh. activities that happen in the mornings. Something else that we're really grateful for is that each one of our teachers is going to have a paraprofessional in their classroom um, for the entire day. And, um, and and that will make a huge difference because what having two adults will mean is not only taking care of students' needs, but they're going to be working with students like side by side. Right. So a paraprofessional, when you when you have those stations, they can sit next to a group of children and ask guiding questions or um, what would you do um, if the mom came here or I'm probably not going to give a good example right now, but yeah. um, but but having that extra person when you have 20 to 22 children in a classroom and you've got all of that movement going on, um, the teacher's going to be able to pull a small group to maybe work on a specific skill while the para can still manage what's going on in the stations. Um, the paraprofessional will be trained. We're going to have trainings for them as well. And so they will be taught certain skills to be able to pull small groups of their own. So children will get a lot of face time with an adult. And Mary brings up a really good point about the number of departments that are very invested in this um, pilot program because we have everyone from facilities looking at do we have enough playground equipment for that recess slash movement piece that's required. We have HR working with the relay program to get some of these instructional paras who will eventually get a bachelor's and a master's degree in teaching. So there's lots of different departments that maybe from the outside people wouldn't assume are involved in this. So working with our five principals, we have pretty much uh, bi-weekly um, updates on what's happening, and everyone is at the table kind of uh, feeling the way to, to full-day pre-K together. <laughs> so we're really excited about that collaboration piece because we're listening to what the principals are hearing from their teachers and what their needs are, and all the departments are kind of pulling together, everyone from nutrition to how are we going to serve the kids appropriately because pre-K gets servings, sizes, and what they can have yeah. from the government yeah. different than a five-year-old. And so that requires the the staff in the cafeteria to be on board with this program as well. So lots of people working together to make this happen. It's a lot of work. It has to do with half-day versus full-day, but it really has to do with with kind of a from a principal's perspective, I guess for the last, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years that early childhood and pre-K has gotten, has received more attention, not just in Texas, but across the country. Uh, the science has always been there. In other words, the, you know, the science of knowledge, you know, knowing that a brain develops between the ages of six months and seven, eight years old. Has the emphasis on early childhood and pre-K, has it changed your what has it changed about you as a principal? Has it changed your staffing patterns? Has it changed the way you, mm-hmm. the way you hire? The the I'm just curious as to, as a principal, what is it? What has changed other than trying to prepare for a new full day program? But have you seen yourself adjust in any way? I th- I would say for me, um, I've had some experience before. Um, I had some time away from A-Leaf, and I was in uh, New Jersey for a little bit, and I worked for the State Department there, specifically on their preschool program, uh, making it uh, available for all students, Mm -hmm. not just income and language. And one of the things that I learned from that and that I've carried with me since that time is just the importance of building that foundation. And for me as a principal, what that shapes in me is that I have to make sure that um, even though there are other things that are going on and state assessments and things like that, I also have to keep my eye on the early childhood grades. And I have to, and that includes 
um, pre-K. So just making sure, like, um, never had have had the practice of uh, someone's not doing well in third grade, I'm going to put them in pre-K. N- right. None is it, of that. Is it about a teacher, like moving the teacher? Right, moving the right. teacher. Yeah. Moving the teacher from third grade to pre-K because they're not performing well in third grade. That's never been a practice. Uh, but making sure, uh, like you mentioned, that when we're interviewing, like the interview process for, because we had to bring in two more pre-K teachers, mm-hmm. the interview process and what the, the task force provided with us, provided us uh, the questions, the questions that they provided us, um, that they're so rigorous. And so we're working really hard to get quality teachers, of course, across the board, but especially like Mary said, um, you have to have those quality teachers in pre-K because they have to be organized. They have to know about uh, uh, young children Mm -hmm. and they have to be open to the coaching piece there. Um, You asked if we changed as a result of this, and I've been sitting here thinking, I, I would say I started that change process sooner than this development because my background um, as a classroom teacher and as a specialist, I more worked with older students. So I taught uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth grades. And um, so when I first even became an assistant principal, I knew that my deficit area was early childhood. So I asked to supervise primary students, and I went to PD at that time because I felt like I needed I needed to know. I needed more information. And what I learned from watching excellent teachers in primary grades from pre-K through first is where I, I put my emphasis I saw what they were doing, and I saw the value that they were adding to children. And so as an administrator, both as an assistant principal and now as a principal, I I feel like I have tried to continue to place that value in early childhood because um, we can't just look at third and fourth graders and where star scores are. Um, if you do that, you're always playing catch up. Mm-hmm. You have to invest in children when they're young. You have to be willing to put um, intervention um, in primary grades and keep it there and not move it up to third and fourth grade, because if you don't, you just perpetuate issues. So so I'm grateful that the state is looking at this now, that, uh, that you know, that ALEAF is um, investing in the pilot, but that our state is actually looking now at the potential of funding us right. um, across the state. I think it's exciting that, that people are starting to value what the teachers of young children do. But those that were, that were suspicious of investing a lot of money into four-year-old education, I don't, they were never, at least the ones that I've spoke to, they were never suspicious because they doubted the value or they doubted the, the, the academic cognitive value of social emotional value of, of teaching four-year-olds. Their concern always was with what happens if they have a good quality four-year-old program, but they go into a mediocre kinder first, second experience and they lose whatever value that four-year-old experience gave them, that pre-K experience gave them. And, and a lot of that was being founded, in some cases rightfully so, and in some cases not. But it, nevertheless, from their perspective, it was being founded based on uh, examples of teachers who weren't being very successful with their test grade, you know, with their test grades, third and fourth grade, being pushed aside and trying to perhaps put down at the lower, at the primary levels. And that was a perception by many at the state level. And I think uh, it's an observation that I'd love for you to respond to. But uh, I think there's probably some truth in that in some cases, but I also think there's people like what you just mentioned that, that have rel- realized for many years that if we don't get it right in pre-K, kinder, and first, then all we're doing is, you know, we're just putting Band-Aids on problems when they get to third and fourth grade. That is, it's just true. It's just absolutely true. From talking to others, 
I know that there have been places where that has been what's happened. And, um, and, and that comes with the there are realities of the pressures that come on campuses because of star scores. I mean, you can't you, you can't push those away and say they don't exist. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's potential that there would be a campus that, okay, they've you've got to make a decision for what's best for your entire campus at the time. And might that have to be the decision in that moment, given all the factors? There could be. Right. but but I feel like it's much better when we can look long term and we can invest in in the children from when they first get into school. I think we will all see better results and and just piggyback on that just a second. so what what are we doing, kathy and and Aleaf to to monitor the results from not only from pre-k to kinder, but so that we're doing some monitoring or checks and balances or to to ensure that our investment in four year olds is going to be sustained through kinder first and second, if you don't mind talking about that. So we have a lot of things actually in place even before they get to us because of our district to daycare partnerships. And so we have some things going on in our area daycares so that we start tracking students as soon as they get involved in those programs or even our jumpstart program, which is our three-year-old reading program that happens on um, our campuses with families where they commit to coming in and getting some training and they get some um, books and they have some literacy practices shown to them that they can work with their kids at home. And so we actually start monitoring kids the second we touch them. So if they're involved in Jumpstarter or they're involved in one of those daycares and they enroll here in our pre-K, we start tracking their progress based on that. We monitor kids who were in our half-day pre-K program who may have come from one of those daycares or from Jumpstart. And then we also have a lot of vertical teaming going on now, since, especially since the high-quality guidelines went through for teachers, because we had those same questions about, okay, so pre-K teachers are now required to meet certain standards or get 150 hours of PD. But what about a kindergarten teacher? What if a kindergarten teacher is only getting 14 hours a year? And we know that research says you need 49 hours of a subject area to really own it and understand it. And so our teams are working together to kind of um, mirror those kinds of vertical conversations between um, kinder and first grade after we've started um, watching the progress of our pre-K students. The other thing that we're doing is we're making sure that we're using all of the assessment data to inform our instructional practices. So we look at the circle um, assessment in pre-K that's being used universally in the state. We look what, at... What does that do? What is it just for the people listening? Um, the circle assessment basically takes different areas like phonemic awareness and letter recognition and, thing, and number recognition and, and basically gives our kids a baseline of where do they come in um, to our program. And then we evaluate beginning, middle, and year, end of the year. And then um, that gives us a gauge on where they are um, with readiness going into kindergarten. And so then in kindergarten, we start using our ISIP um, assessment, which is the I-Station. And it helps us to track whether or not we actually add value. So where did they come into us at the beginning of pre-K? And then how did they finish? And then when they get to kindergarten, if they were with us that whole time. We talk a lot about continuously enrolled students, especially as we track our um, STAR data. But we know that we want to know what happens from the moment they get to us until that. So as a district, we're looking literally from the first touch point we get with a family and with their kids all the way through the STAR assessment. So that's not – STAR assessment isn't guiding this work at the early levels. It's really about 
Is there value added from being in our programming, from being in classrooms where teachers are being coached side by side? And then we're very intentional about providing the instructional resources for those teachers, whether it's PD or it's actual curriculum documents. We are adding um, math units because math is something that hasn't always been a focus in in pre-K. It has um, evolved into more of a focus. We really concentrated on literacy and oral language for a long time, but the the math is an important piece. Um, The other thing that we are going to be bringing in, and we can't give you super specifics right now because the the team is still working, but bringing in kind of hands-on science. We have a a pretty robust STEM program in the district, and we want kids exposed to those early hands-on science experiments and exploration activities. And so we're going to bring that in in kind of a PBL environment as early as pre-K so that, again, that vertical alignment of I've had this exposure since I first got to A-Leaf schools, and now as I go up and I start making choices about my learning, then I have had exposure to those opportunities. So um, there's a lot of vertical teaming and and conversations happening sort of behind the scenes. But pre-K looks different than it looked like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, just simply about the exposure. So you asked a a little bit ago about the difference between a half day and a full day. That full day is going to allow us to bring in those hands-on PBL science activities. Um, It's going to allow us to have those math units being taught more in implicitly because there's time in the day. Yeah. The conversation about ensuring that you don't lose the investment of the four-year-old investment through kinder first and second. Um, I think the, the general population who pays attention to education knows that we start, the state starts testing kids in third grade. Um, but as a district, we're assessing them from the time they get us, uh, get here as a four-year-old through, through, through that. Yep. And, and I think it's important to, for, folks to, to understand that while those assessments aren't necessarily a part of the state accountability system, they are a way for us to monitor our progress and to monitor that we're what we're implementing is with some fidelity throughout primary years. Is that is that fair? And just in the first few years that we've been tracking this information, we definitely see that our students who are involved in our programming, whether it's the district to daycare partnerships or our actual pre-K program, are outperforming students that are not um, being touched through those programs. And so we know that full day should have a greater impact, and we believe that it will have a greater impact. And so as we track these kids, um, you know, there's a lot of years between pre-K and a third grade test. And right. so it's important for us to track that progress every year and not just look at it as, a oh, look what happened in third grade. We want to make sure that we know the difference between progress in pre-K to K, K to 1, 1 to 2. Um, because as Mary and, and Jeanette have both stated, if we don't start making good decisions when they first get to us, then we can't expect good things to happen later on down the road. It's hard to fix them, right? It's easier to to prepare them and help them through the system. Yes, and to watch them soar and grow um, with that monitoring of their growth because throughout A-LEAF, we've always believed that every student, no matter where they start, will make a year's growth. And many kids, especially at the pre-K level, will surpass that. You could spend a a long time talking about this topic. Mary, what are we missing? What are we missing? Well, Kathy touched on action-based learning, and I I guess it's something I have a passion for, so I thought I would bring it out just a little bit more. The state asks us to have um, free recess time, you know, time when kids can just get out and run around and play. And that is a part of our day. But another piece of what we're going to have in our day is um, some very intentional 
playtime where it's more um, designed. So for example, at Hicks, and I believe we're going to have this at all of our five campuses, is we have a room that's called our ABL Lab, and it is for our um, pre-K K and first grade students. And so what does ABL stand for? Action-based learning. There you go. And um, so um, the the room is set up so that the children have to go through very developmental activities. You might crawl through a tube. You might um, walk on a ladder. Um, these develop um, balance skills. Um, you do activities where you might toss a ball back and forth or you might throw a scarf in the air and have to catch it. So you're working on hand-eye coordination. So there are many of these skills. You know, we, we talked about brain development. Um, the brain and the body are connected. And so when the children are doing things physically, it helps the brain to develop as well. So there's a lot of research now that shows if, for example, if a child can't crawl, that is an indicator that their reading may be develop, developmentally slower. And so by having this in our program each and every day, right now our, our pre-K children go like once or twice a week. But to be able to have them go to the ABL lab every single day for about a 20-minute period, we feel like this is also something that we're doing that's very intentional and will help uh, that, that body-brain connection that will also then help children um, be more receptive to the the learning, and we're excited about that. Uh, not a new phenomenon, but it's relatively new, and teachers having to let go of some of the order and yes, <laughs> <laughs> control of their classroom and turn them turn kids loose on treadmills and like yes. controlled <laughs> chaos. Controlled <laughs> chaos. But chaos. It's, a, it's like amazing. That. It's amazing the learning that takes place, mm-hmm. uh, and it's common sense. You know, we've been sitting here for forty-five minutes, and we probably would have been much more entertaining if we'd have been up walking around. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ready and I'd like to note leader. that um, all five of the leaders that we've picked for this um, pre-K pilot program, while we picked them because they had space <laughs> and facility room without us having to, to do anything different um, to implement next year, all five of them have been willingly a part of this process. And the action-based learning piece, three of the five campuses already had um, pretty robust ABL labs, action-based learning labs in place. So they already have the belief system behind. And when a, when a leader leads their teachers in a way where they've modeled and they've shown the importance of these things that we're trying to bring into practice, it, it's a key component. So I just want to commend these two ladies and the other three principals is that they are completely on board and their teachers see that buy-in and that buy-in is really critical um, because that's also going to go out to families. Families are going to know that the the leaders on those campuses are invested in this and invested in their children. And so that that at the end of the day is going to help all of us to make sure that this is successful. Very good. And I I want the, the community who's listening to this to understand that, yes, this is a pilot for five of our schools. And as Kathy mentioned, it's based on several factors, none the least of which is we have room for them. Uh, but as a district, we're committed to moving to full-day pre-K over the next several years. Uh, there's a lot of funding that's being talked about right now at the state level that would be allocated to districts to be used for full-day pre-K, which is which is extremely, extremely uh, beneficial. Uh, but also, our taxpayers, the A-Leaf taxpayers in 2015, approved a bond referendum, which included somewhere in the neighborhood of $85 million for expansion of our schools to go full-day pre-K. And we will start that process in the next 12 to 18 months in order for us, as, as well as other districts across the state, in order for us to for it to make sense to build the buildings, we have to have the money to fund the operation of the building and the operations, meaning the teachers, the day-to-day staff that it takes to manage a program. So 
we're trying to work in concert, as are a lot of districts. We're trying to work in concert with the state. If the state provides the funding to to pay for the teachers and the, the operation of the program, the local taxpayers and ALEAF have already stepped up to the plate, and they said, we're willing to pay for the facilities. So we've got the facilities ready to go. It's the operational funds that's been kind of the holdup. We're slowly getting there. I want to thank all three of you for, for being here, particularly Jeanette, you and, and, and Mary, for y'all, you know, acceptance of, of doing this at your school and it being a bit of a disruption, not so much a disruption as much as something else you have to <laughs> you have to plan for and prepare for in addition to the, the million other things you have going on. But uh, thank you for, for your participation in this as well as our other three principals. Thank you. Definitely glad to be a part of it. And we appreciate your dedication to the program as well. You bet. You bet. Well, it's important. It's important. If we're going to accomplish what we want to, it, this is where it starts. If we don't get this part of it right, then a lot of the other stuff we're doing doesn't. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it sure makes it more difficult. So this has been Impact Ed with HD Chambers. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to you, uh, to our next episode. Have a great day. This has been an AMP production.